Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lisenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lisenby. And I'm Kate Ballou. Happy Wednesday, spooky friends. Samhain is almost upon us. Yes, and to celebrate, we have our friend here with us, Amanda of Pretty Effin' Spooky, to talk with us about hauntings, the supernatural, and her visit to the Melange Inn. Welcome to the podcast, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and for those who don't know, Shelby, the founder of Tamed Wild, recently acquired an inn named the Melange in Hendersonville, North Carolina. So the Melange rooms are decorated in traditional Victorian-era style with authentic antiques and decor, beautifully spooky. And this unique space is sure to have some spectral presence, and I can't wait to hear about it. I've only seen the Melange in pictures and videos, but it looks stunning. So if you're curious, you can check it out on Instagram, at the Melange Inn, and also online. I'll share some links in our show notes. Awesome. Yeah, there's an upcoming masquerade ball that will be held the day before Halloween. Amazing. And the Tamed Wild Wheel of the Year and Sabbath retreats will also be held in the Melange. So I'll be there for in bulk teaching word witchery, as well as an herbalism workshop, and possibly for a few of the other dates. So make sure to check that out. The Melange sounds so, so magical and maybe a bit haunted too. So I'm excited to hear what Amanda has to say about that. Yes, and to introduce Amanda, we have her bio right here. Amanda is a paranormal investigator and occultist based out of Spokane, Washington. With over 12 years of experience, she now travels the country as a solo investigator and shares her adventures on her social media platform, Pretty Effin' Spooky. As a self-proclaimed paranormal ponderer, love that. Amanda most enjoys the deeper conversations around all things pretty frickin' spooky. Thanks for joining us, Amanda. It's so nice to meet you. So nice to meet you guys, too. I'm so excited to be here talking with you and excited to be inside the Melange Inn. So amazing. And let's get down to it. Can you tell us a little bit about your work and how you came to be a paranormal ponderer? So I began investigating in 2008 with a team. Um, I was 18 back then, and uh, I kind of took a break after my team investigations, then came back to it about two and a half, three years ago as Pretty F and Spooky Online, where I am a solo investigator, um, and I also travel and meet other investigators to collaborate with them. But I first had my... um, like I first had a paranormal experience when I was about seven years old, which kind of kickstarted my interest into the paranormal. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So my um, mom and my grandma and I, we moved from California to Montana and we moved into this uh, duplex and it wasn't very spooky. It wasn't very old, but I remember walking in as a seven-year-old and seeing a penny on the windowsill. And for some reason it caught my attention. I remember it so vividly. 
And after that, I thought to myself, there's something else here. For some reason, I was just um, convinced that there was a spirit in the house, even though I wasn't predisposed to um, spooky stuff. I didn't like watch any TV shows like that or anything. And um, one of the most like influential uh, occurrences that happened in that house was a big glass vase ended up moving across my wooden dresser on its own one day while I was coloring. And I made my mom switch me rooms after that because it was just too much. It was right near a crawl space in a closet and it was just very active. So I switched rooms, uh, was very scared of the paranormal at that point, but it, it kind of was a, you know, it kind of got the ball rolling for me throughout my entire life having, um, experiences like that until I turned 18 and really wanted to start looking into, you know, what that was about. I kind of wanted to start digging deeper, which is why I joined a team in 08. Amazing. Um, what was that transition like from like going to kind of fearful into like wanting to embrace it? Like, was there, was it just over a period of time or did something kind of click for you? Um, it was, it was over a long period of time. I would say from about, I, from, for my entire childhood and into high school, it was just little experiences here and there. Um, my, my dog passed away at one point and I, I could have sworn I heard her um, spirit throughout my house and, and some other little, little things that kept happening to me. I, I felt like I could always see something out of the corner of my eye or, or down a hallway in whatever house I was living in. And, and, um, it just kind of built up until, um, until I found this group on Facebook, um, and, uh, and just decided why not I applied. I had to interview. It was very serious. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting thinking back because I didn't really have too deep of a thought behind joining the team. It just felt right. I was like, I feel like I should probably just understand what's been happening more and try to communicate more pointedly with the other. Beautiful. And so last night you stayed alone at the Melange Inn. And um, I know that Kristen and I both watched your Instagram live from there. But um, can you kind of share a little bit about your experience over the night? So the Melange Inn is definitely haunted, but I want to (laughs) make it clear that it's haunted by something really pleasant, I would say, which is a Mm. new experience for me. I I do have a very traditional ghost hunting background. Um, For many years, I was kind of like an adrenaline chase, like a thrill seeker. You know, I just kind of wanted to um, see as much as I could see. And uh, and a lot of it really scared me over a long period of time. Um, but last night at the Melange, um, I got to experience what felt like a very peaceful, very like um, loving uh, energy in the house. I, I did go mm-hmm. live a couple times. Um, the majority of the activity happening was um, shadows. I would see shadows in my room. Um, particularly a shadow that was like the height of a child. And in some of the sessions that I did on my live, something called an Estes session that I did, which is um, a sensory deprivation experiment while listening to a spirit box, which is like a radio. Um, Mm. While doing that, it seemed to be that a small, um, like a child of a boy was here, kind of a playful child. Um, We got some answers that he was hiding underneath tables. Um, and later I would see shadows that seemed kind of the height of, of a young boy. Um, and then also that there was a woman, um, that was kind of like watching over the house 
that was also very present. So um, yeah, lots of darting shadows, um, little noises like floors creaking, um, all sorts of little stuff like that. And just an overwhelming feeling though, that like, this is a very happy, like great place that these spirits want to stick around at. And I also think Mm. that they were, um, I think that it was new to them that I was talking to them intentionally. Um, which after the fact, I, I realized that I probably am the first person possibly ever, or in a long time that has come with the sole intent to the melange of talking with the spirits. So I, I kind of got the feeling too, that they weren't really used to having somebody here who was recognizing them. Um, but yeah, it was very magical. It was very nice. Yeah. And you had mentioned too, that the, the inn was built in 1919, but that there was a headstone in the backyard that dated what back to 1850. Yeah. So the, the Melange, I think was built in 1920, or at least that's when they first moved in. And, um, which is interesting because the, the building itself gives off a much older vibe, which I wonder now if that is a impression that I'm picking up on, um, that there's just a very old, um, kind of almost primordial energy on the land here. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, like you said, there's a headstone in the back. Um, it's very hidden, uh, at the very back of the, uh, the property and it says 1850 on it. And it has just three initials. It's V a T 1850. So Hmm. there, there was definitely, I think another building on this property at one point that then was probably torn down because I can't imagine that they would put one headstone here without there being a building here as well, like a house. Um, because apparently in North Carolina, you can bury, uh, you're dead on your property. It's legal to, to bury on your own property. So yeah, huh. that's really fascinating. And I, I got the impression last night that it could possibly be the boy spirit that was here, but I, there's no way for me to find that out. I might do some digging, but I don't know yet who that headstone belongs to. Yeah. I wonder like if it's on people's individual property, like if you have to kind of have the same sort of like death certificate or like record of barrier burial or anything like that. Yeah, I don't know. I've I've never really come across that until I came here with that like um just just a one or two burials here and there on on people's own property. That's definitely new to me. I don't see that in Washington state. Yeah. And something else you mentioned that was really interesting is the smell of um cologne or baby powder in the Vivian room and I I've never experienced phantom smells before and I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, I hadn't either. And all this time, I had never really experienced phantom smells that move. I've experienced walking into a place and, and smelling like old cigar smoke or or something that mm. doesn't make sense that it would still be lingering. But in the Vivian room, I described it as men's cologne. Um, but Shelby uh, explained that other people have described it as baby powder. But what was really fascinating was um, like I first got here, I visited the Vivian room. I smelt the men's cologne. I went back into that room, I think two more times throughout the night, didn't smell it at all. It smelled nothing. And then I went in the last time I smelt it. And then I, as I was standing inside of the room, I, it went away. So it Mm. was like constantly moving, like, and, and I can't explain that at all. That, that was actually one of the most fascinating things to happen last night. Um, but yeah, definitely like a, 
like a very slight musky smell, I would say, which is why I think I'm associating it with men's cologne, but um, also sort of baby powder-esque smell. Really interesting. Huh. Is it usual to have sort of like these sort of very differentiated presences in one space or is it, do you normally find that there's more like one predominant figure out of the spirits in a place? Um, I've seen both. So I, I was um, comparing the melange last night, the experience a lot to the Lizzie Borden house because I, I stayed in the Lizzie Borden house recently completely alone. So very similar scenario where I was alone in a house. Um, And that energy at the Borden house felt like one spirit moving throughout the house. But here last night felt like different spirits in different parts of the house that maybe they enjoyed staying at with the exception of the child spirit, which felt like it would show up in my room, kind of dart across near the table or behind the couch and then it would go and I could feel it like I could feel my heart rate just kind of rise for a second out of nowhere and then I would I would feel like something was there and then it would go away and then it'd be fine so um the melange was interesting in that way definitely more complex and I feel like that kind of makes sense with its history as a bed and breakfast um I know the previous owners owned it for like 20 some years and rented out rooms so it has been occupied by a lot of different people and i think it's had like five owners over its um over the inn's life and so um yeah i feel like there was just a lot of different energies in different parts of the house amanda i followed you for a while on instagram and i think what i really appreciate about your approach to this type of work is that You seem genuinely interested in the stories and the spirits that you are potentially trying to contact, um, you know, versus like a gotcha type scenario. Uh, So when you go someplace for the first time, is there a ritual or something that you do in order to make your intentions known? I definitely have my own set of rituals now, but I didn't always. And like I mentioned before, I... I have a history of being a traditional ghost hunter. And in the last about three years, I've learned to incorporate more um, quote unquote magic, I guess, into my ghost hunting and started realizing that that the two really, I don't believe can be separate. I, I think that phenomena is just all um, all encompassing and that I needed to start incorporating a ritual for investigating. Um you know, now I, when I go into a location, I typically try to meditate for a little bit, um, even if it's not too deep of a meditation, but just the idea of like sitting still and quiet and setting intentions within myself of what I want to communicate with, what I invite into the space. And also that I do invite the spirits to come forward because I found that if I don't do that, sometimes less activity can happen. And I think that, um, that, you know, I, I think humans can sometimes intimidate um, spirits or, or the other side. And, um, and I think it's important to kind of lay it down that, you know, you're not there to do anything, any harm for me, at least, you know, especially with the history of ghost hunters right now being kind of aggressive in their approach. Um, I found it especially useful to set the intent that um, I'm not there to yell at it. I'm not there to make it go anywhere. I'm just there 
to talk and to hang out and to experience it. So um, my, yeah, so basically in answer to your question, I do have a ritual of, of just meditation. Um, and I don't typically uh, set too much protection in place for myself um, at the start of an investigation because I don't want to block anything out. I want to try to stay as open as possible, which is where that meditating comes in handy because I do have to like set an intent of what I do and don't want to come in without actually accidentally purifying or cleansing the area, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I also saw that you uh, pull cards too before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, did, you, did you see those kind of come through last night? Like I think you said that like resurrection... Um... The heart, the heart, I think, yeah. Yeah. And the the human soul. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think the the cards I pulled was like a, a poppet, a heart, and cemetery, I think is, is the mm. three oracle cards that I pulled. And, um, and looking back at that now, I didn't know how to interpret the heart aspect of it because I didn't know if that was literally like I'm going to be contacting the spirit of somebody who... I don't know, had some, had some, I don't know, sad history about, uh, unrequited love or I don't know, you never know, like woman in white kind of thing. I didn't know if it was very literal or if it was more like my heart or how I felt about it. And now looking at those cards in hindsight, I, I think it was about kind of breathing life back into this place and resurrecting the, um, energy that's maybe been a little latent here and that, um, that it's, that the spirits welcomed it. And, and it was, it was something from, you know, from my heart that of good intent, um, to kind of bring life to what was here. I also last night, something that came through was that the, um, the spirit said something along the lines of that the rain helps it, helps it mm. do things or help helps it, um, become more active, which I thought was really interesting. Um, makes me think that maybe the energy here needs an extra push from like the elements or from whatever is going on outside, um, in order to kind of come forward and, and to, um, manifest itself. Um, so maybe also me being here helped it manifest without that extra help because it was not raining last night. So yeah, the, the pulling the cards um, beforehand, I really enjoy because I can look at it like this and then, you know, really ponder what everything meant and and how how you can kind of tap into the energy before, before you arrive at the location. Mm. It's really interesting too, last night being, um, or tonight kind of moving into this full moon in Pisces, which is so watery. And like for that to kind of maybe play a role in, in giving energy to those spirits. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't even know last night that it was the full moon in Pisces. So, <laughs> so even more compelling that, that those kind of answers would come through. Super interesting. So last night when you were live, there was some conversation in the chat about locking mirrors because the melange has a ton of mirrors and you had said that you didn't lock any mirrors last night, but I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that and kind of your process if you were to lock a mirror and why you would want to do that. Sure. So um, the idea of locking or warding 
mirrors is still relatively new for myself. I've known about it for a long time, but haven't really practiced it until, um, until recent, like until this year, actually. And my process typically when I'm, when I'm not traveling and I have everything that I need with me, um, I have like a protection oil that I, um, take around to my own mirrors and I'll typically maybe put a dot on each, um, you know, on each corner of the mirror or I'll maybe make a little sigil or, um, you know, pentacle or whatever I'm feeling in the moment and just set the intent that nothing unwanted or that has ill will towards me can come through the mirror. Um, I don't typically ward mirrors when I go to locations because I try not to significantly impact the environment when I'm not living there myself. Like I, I do a lot of this stuff in my own home, but, um, but you know, I just don't want to do anything uncalled for. And also there's a million mirrors here, like you said, so I wouldn't have done it. (laughs) I wouldn't have done it here, but I have done it, um, on an investigation before, uh, where there was a mirror where possibly, um, there, there was a mirror on an investigation before that, that I had to ward just so that nothing, um, negative came through. But yeah, that's my process. I typically use an oil, um, on the fly. I've used a water and salt mixture to do it. Um, but I also just fully believe in the power of our own intent. And I think if you just move around to your mirrors and, you know, um, you could even look at it and be like, nothing's allowed to come through here. (laughs) I just think we have a lot of power in our own minds that, Mm -hmm. um, that, any intent with anything like that can work. But yeah, that's my process with warding. Um, and I do feel like it's helpful. I, I, I run into a lot of trickster energy investigating and I feel like that Mm. helps kind of, um, I don't know. It helps, it helps that kind of energy sort of dull down because trickster energy on an investigation can be a little bit chaotic and, um, sometimes get a little nasty. So it helps me. I saw that you did something, um, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, the Estes technique or an Estes session at the Mm -hmm. Melange, um, which was new to me when I saw you doing it. So could you explain a little bit about how that works and why you chose that technique for the Melange? Sure. So the Estes method is a method designed by um, Carl Pfeiffer and Connor Randall um, and another investigator in Estes Park. Um, at the Stanley Hotel. And the uh, method is, like I said uh, before, I think a sensory deprivation uh, method of investigating. So I wear noise isolating headphones, a blindfold, and then I feed the um, an SB7 spirit box through my headphones. And a spirit box, um, if those listening don't know, is a radio that plays AM, FM frequencies, but it has a sweeping feature. So you can sweep through the stations at an accelerated rate, which then kind of creates a constant static, but with the occasional words coming through. So um, a lot of times on TV and stuff, you'll see people listening to spirit boxes, just playing it out um, like through the speaker and they'll just pick out words that they hear. But the Estes method uh, removes bias from the experiment so that you're not able to hear the questions being asked. So that, you know, when you hear something and you say an answer, if you say, 
blue, because that's just what you heard in the headphones, it's that much more compelling if you didn't hear the question before it, which was, what is your favorite color? Um, so yeah, sure. I love using that method just because I try to stay very honest in investigating and I try not to insert my own bias into things. Um, or, or, you know, it's easy to, to get ahead of yourself and think you're hearing something when you're looking for it. So I really enjoy that method. Um, and I also think it gives a voice to the energy in a place and really allows you to like have full conversations with what is there versus like maybe an EVP session, which is with a digital recorder and you're, you're looking for electronic voice phenomena with that, you kind of have to review that after the fact, um, or, you know, there's not as much coming through, but, um, the yeses method, there is constantly, um, words coming through. And also it, it puts yourself into a position where you're kind of being a medium in a sense. And I'm not somebody who's naturally a medium. That's not something I claim to be. So I also enjoy that it puts me in that headspace where I can kind of tap in deeper than I normally would be able to. So how much does your intuition come into play during an investigation? Like, does it influence you quite a bit or would you say that you more like have a structured approach? Um, so this is a great question because I have just recently this year started changing my approach with intuition. Um, and so I would say previously I had a very like kind of type a structured approach to investigating where, um, I was just using equipment. I just wanted like actual lights to go off on my equipment and actual noises to be made. And I just kind of ignored intuition entirely. I also really rejected the part of me that I now know to be more intuitive and more sensitive to energy. And I don't know really why I was rejecting that aspect of myself. I think I, I think I just knew I couldn't prove that to anyone, but you, but the equipment allows me to give like definitive proof in a way to like skeptics. Mm -hmm. So it was hard to inject intuition because I just didn't feel like it was solid enough evidence. But mm -hmm. in this past year, I started realizing that I wasn't having as many experiences as some of the people that I know, and they weren't as deep of experiences. And it just wasn't really fulfilling. I didn't feel like I was doing much good for the other side or for myself. So um, I started slowly trying to pay more attention to my intuition, trying to pay more attention to what it feels like when I come into a location, what rooms um, am I being called to, you know, what is popping into my head for some reason, saying that out loud and actually using that in the investigation later. And um, I've seen a drastic change in results in investigations and also just kind of an overall um, fulfillment for myself in what I do and feeling like I'm actually communicating versus just kind of wanting to make a monkey dance in a way, like just kind of wanting mm -hmm. spirits to perform. Now I'm actually communicating and connecting with this energy. So in addition to the Melange, you've also visited the Lizzie Borden house, the Conjuring farmhouse, and many more. So with Samhain just around the corner and us being lovers of spooky stories, especially when they're true, I have to ask, would you be open to sharing the spookiest, scariest, eeriest thing that's ever happened during an investigation? Yes. 
So this question can be hard sometimes because there's lots of spooky things that I've experienced over time. And also these scary, spooky stories are very nuanced. So it's like, (laughs) (laughs) I have to choose something that, you know, what I find really scary in the moment can just be a feeling versus some other things that are that sound scarier. Mm-hmm. Um, but a story I like to tell, I won't tell my Lizzie Borden story because I have that online for everyone to see. That is one of the scariest uh, investigations of my life though. But um, I, when I was about 18, I used a Ouija board for the first time. And I feel like a bunch of people are going to roll their eyes at that uh, Ouija board. You know, there's lots of opinions on the Ouija board. And uh, but my, my friend, she, she was down with me, uh, with doing it with me and I had just started investigating in my team. So I was, I was, um, very excited and, and wanted, you know, something to happen. And so we did the Ouija board exactly how you're supposed to do it. We turned off all the lights, we lit candles, we unplugged electronics, we, everything you can find online, we did for this Ouija board session. And, um, it started working. I, I can say with confidence that it, it was working the way it's intended to work. Um, we started contacting a man from the 1800s, um, like a working man, uh, overalls, white t-shirt or not, um, like a white button up shirt, uh, very descriptive. It was telling us everything about him. Um, at one point a, a fly started flying around our heads, like buzzing around our heads. And we're like, oh, that's annoying. And we're kind of joking. We're like, if you're really here with us, can you get rid of this fly? Can you help us with this fly? And at that moment, the fly flew into one of our candles and it lit on fire. Um, And then after that, her dog started barking in the corner at something that we couldn't see. And um, we ended up ending the Ouija board session being like, wow, that's super freaky. I don't know what to make of it, but the craziest thing that came of that and why it's something that sticks out to me um, is because after that, I began having sleep paralysis and um, the sleep paralysis ended up lasting for 10 years, actually, where this spirit that we contacted through the Ouija board um, started visiting, like visiting me when I was sleeping. I remember taking a nap on the couch and him kneeling next to me. I could sometimes he would hold my hand and I could feel the cracks in his skin. Um, and my sleep paralysis episodes began to kind of morph into like not just one spirit, but multiple. And it kind of opened this door in a way to the other side while I was sleeping. And I, you know, attribute that to that Ouija board session. And while it's not a traditional ghost hunting story, I think it is just very telling of, what a life, um, kind of involved in the paranormal can be like and how Mm. things can evolve and last over time and how you kind of get deeper into this world, um, in a way. And that Ouija board session really kind of, um, that was kind of the kickstart to an adult life, um, interested in the occult and wondering what are these spirits trying to say to me? So that's one of the scariest thing. A ten-year-long scary story for me um, is is that, yeah. Sleep paralysis is incredibly eerie. I agree. Yeah, I think there's way more to it than uh, than what we know about it so far. Absolutely. 
Also, it's just, I'm like laughing a little bit that you said white t-shirt accidentally because that's the ghost that uh, comes through my space is he has a white t-shirt on and my friends have seen him and we call him the white t-shirt ghost. So for you to accidentally grab white (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Whoops. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Um, Do you have any plans for upcoming Samhain or Halloween? I have lots of plans for October. Um, I have an investigation planned at the St. Ignatius Hospital in Colfax, Washington. And then I'm also Mm. planning a virtual dark history tour for a local museum called the Campbell House. Um, But on actual Samhain, I've left it completely open for myself. And I think I'm going to um, focus a little bit more on the magical aspects of Samhain this year versus traditional ghost hunting. And I'm looking forward to um, you know, kind of focusing on my ancestors and kind of wanting to communicate with some uh, spirits that might have something specifically to say to me. Amazing. I can't wait to hear about it. So if any of our listeners want to contact you or follow your investigations, where can they find you? I am primarily active on Instagram at Pretty F and Spooky, but you can also find me on TikTok, Uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and I'm also on prettyeffinspooky.com, which is where you can um, request an investigation or collaboration on there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amanda, and all of our listeners for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at K8Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Tune in next week's episode where Kristen and I discuss the other world and the witch's familiar. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mote it be or something better. Until next time. Mm-hmm.